Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Building a Sales Process for Repeatable Success. In it, you'll discover a nine step process to build your sales process and measure its effectiveness, as well as best practices for reviewing and revising your process over time. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, three, one. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited to speak with today's guest. I say this with only the the highest of compliments. He might be even more of a process nerd than I am. So um, we are two people really excited about improving process, um, speaking together, which should be a lot of fun. Um, He is the founder and CEO of Fathom which is an app for Zoom that allows you to record highlights of your Zoom meetings in real time and use them for various purposes that we will be talking about. Um, And he is actually a serial entrepreneur. He's developed and launched several successful apps and platforms, um, including User Voice, which innovated that little feedback button that you see on some websites on the right-hand side of the screen. And he is based in San Francisco, California. So welcome to the show, Richard White. Hello. Thank you. I am so glad you could join me today. Um, I just shared a little bit of your bio, but could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting on sales podcast because I've run a sales team for a minute of my life, but most of my life has been focused on, as you mentioned, kind of process and workflow optimization. Uh, I'm originally uh, kind of a computer nerd at heart, uh, computer science uh, and all that. And then uh, early in my career, I transitioned over to basically what we call like user experience or user interface design. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I actually worked on uh, an online calendaring solution, uh, which is bef- like pre-Google Calendar, if I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> we were kind of like one of the top online calendars for Google Calendar. Uh, and then I went from there to actually built a time tracking application for freelancers. Uh, and then from there to user voice, which, as you mentioned, was kind of our kind of our claim to fame was these little feedback tabs on the side of websites. Um, but we were really one of the first people to really build a product for her. How do you listen to you know thousands of customers at once and gather their feedback in kind of a sane way? And we had customers like Microsoft and Yahoo, uh, Stack Overflow, Adobe, you name it. And then more recently uh, with Fathom.video, which you know is for, you know really for anyone who's a power user of Zoom, but obviously especially for people in customer calls, sales success, you name it. Uh, and so yeah, the kind of the thread between all of those is they all. With the exception of the calendaring product, they all kind of scratch an itch that I had, right? A problem that I had. Uh, because when I built the calendaring thing, I think I was like 25. I didn't actually need a calendar. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they've all been kind of workflow optimization. And so, you know, either knowing a workflow I knew well because it was my own or like with Video, a little bit of scratching my own itch and a little bit of really, you know, shadowing a bunch of smart people for a while and figuring out what inefficiencies there are in their daily lives. Definitely. I, I personally found myself in operations just because I love to look at things that could work better and figure out how I can make them work better. And that's something that I can really see as a, a through line um, through the various uh, things that you've done over the course of your career. It's Yeah, I, I feel like I've certain fallen is somewhat naturally. It's a blessing and a curse, though. You know, in every airport I'm in, I'm like, why is this designed this way? Yes. Right? And every, you know, <laughs> you, know, and, and, you know, every website I use, like, this could be better, right? So it's, you know, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse for sure. Definitely. Well, 
I, I know that you have spent some time, as you mentioned, in sales and in sales leadership roles and um, discovered some of those inefficiencies in those areas for improvement for yourself. And then obviously running businesses, you see where the sales process could work better or be more um, efficient. So what are some of the areas where you see, especially in sales, um, the most common inefficiencies? I, yeah. I mean, I think the one that, that I've now had the most experience with is this kind of like note taking or really like how do we share experiences from customer conversations? And I've seen uh-huh. it actually now from both directions. Um, I'll, I'll tell you kind of my experience almost as like as an IC or as almost as a salesperson, you know, early last year, uh, pre-pandemic, I was kind of working on another project, working on another product. And I kind of ended up in a place where I was doing, I think, 300 Zoom calls in six weeks, which... You know, I don't think I did Fridays. So I think it averaged out to be like 12 calls a day with customers and prospects. That's a and few. That's a few. That was a decent amount. I'm not sure why I opted into doing that, but I did. And and in doing that, you know, I was very much, I got very well acquainted with how painful it is to try to talk to someone. I have a, you know, I've got a set amount of time. I got 15 to 30 minutes with someone. I've got to get a lot of information out of them. And at the same time, I'm trying to like hurriedly peck out some notes, right, in my Google Doc so that I remember all these nuggets of wisdom. Right. And then, you know, after the call ends, I have probably 10 minutes to like clean that up into something that's intelligible. Right. So that I can refer back to it later. And I, you know, I'm a pretty diligent person. I, was, I think I did a pretty good job of note taking. And even I would come back to it two weeks later and be like, I don't remember the important nuance of how they said this thing or what I meant by this, this comment. Right. Um, and, and probably even more tragically, you know, a lot of it I try to share with our team. Hey, here's the insights and what I've learned. And I try to share it with my team and it fall flat, right? You know, if I'm on a call with a customer and they're like, this is awesome, this is amazing. And then I try to go tell our team, they said it was awesome and amazing. It's just not the same. You know, us humans, we really, we need to see the face. We need to hear the tone, all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and so that that workflow, I was just like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And that was part of the genesis for some of the stuff we're doing with Fathom. Absolutely. I, I feel like note-taking seems like such a basic thing, right? We're all like, you take notes, you, you write right. things down or type them up while you're talking. And yet, as you said, there's there's different purposes for note-taking and there are different challenges when it comes to note-taking. I know yeah. one thing that I've always done over the course of my career is when I'm in person meeting with somebody, I find it pretty easy to have a notepad and just take some some quick notes. If you're on Zoom and you look away from the screen to take your notes, you can be missing the, the look on people's faces. Um, if you don't explain what you're doing in advance, they think you're looking at your phone because that right. is what most people are doing when they yeah. look away yeah. from the screen. Yeah. And so even just the, the way it's perceived to people um, has really changed over the last couple of years. Yeah, 100%. And I, you know, I think I'm a relatively, you know, reasonably sharp person, but even I, I can't multitask at all, right? I can talk to you and then I feel like I basically go silent and stare at like the Google Doc for a minute and write out my notes, right? So it's very jarring, right, to, to someone having a conversation with me. It's interesting too, the same problem I've seen from the other direction uh, from, you know, as a sales manager, you know, it's funny when I kind of ran our sales team at User Voice for I think about a year, uh, it wasn't a big team. It was like a seven person team. Uh, and I, it's funny, I tried to kind of run it like an engineer, uh, which you're probably better or worse, mostly for the worst. But one of the things I was really kind of like staggered by was you know, the variance in note taking from my team, right? I'd uh-huh. have some people who would write almost nothing into the CRM, right? Like about a call. 
and I'd have some people who almost it was like a transcript. And I was like, okay, well, how are you even having a conversation? You, your notes are so detailed, right? It's a, it's a transcript. And some people were in between. But the other interesting thing is even kind of like my problem is an IC, even the best written notes that balanced, you know, struck that balance between enough detail, not too much detail. Still, the number one thing I'd ask my reps all the time in pipeline reviews would be like, yes, but what do they really say? Right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, they push back on pricing. Oh, they push back on timeline. Yes, but like, what were the exact words they used? What was the tone they used it with? Right? And I mean, I'm sure you know, it's like, you know, pulling up the call recording and finding where they said that and being able to listen to it gives me a lot more information than even the best written notes. Right? And so part of what we've done with Fathom is to try to, we still kind of enable you to take notes. Now we will be able to do it after the call. But what we're doing is we're recording the entire call, transcribing the entire call, but most importantly, allowing you as a rep to basically say, highlight like, oh, this is like, here's an objection that's important. Here's a pricing discussion that's important and kind of highlight the noteworthy parts of a call. So that after the call, you can write your notes with the benefit of like having the full transcript or a lot of people don't even write notes now with our product. They just, you know, I have a call with you. I highlight the moments that matter. When I have a follow-up call with you two weeks later, I just review that, you know, those moments that mattered. Right. And what we found so far is only about 15% of calls are noteworthy, uh, at least according to our users, which kind of makes sense why, well, you know, I don't want to rewatch an entire call, right? That's not efficient, right? And no one wants to hear themselves talk and all that sort of fun stuff. <laughs> but if you can get, if you can take a thirty minute call or an hour long call, and you can give me, you know, the five minute highlight reel for myself, so I can remember and sound smart on the next call, and for my manager who wants to double click on what did it sound like, you know, what did my pricing discussion sound like, right? That I think reduces a lot of these kind of like really kind of you know, emotionally challenging to like uh, inefficiencies, right? Absolutely. And um, you've touched on, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the reasons that we ask salespeople to take notes, you know, there's the, there's the behavior that you need to do for yourself. Um, And that's just that none of us remember as much as we think we remember. And I think a lot of us are, are, you know, can be at least somewhat self-aware that I was, I actually just dealt with this earlier today. I um, thought back to a client that I had a meeting with last Thursday, we're recording on a Tuesday, and I know that there are a few action items that we agreed to and emailed over follow-up, but there was a, there was something about the call that I remembered there was something that stood out, but I don't remember what it is. (laughs) And then you look through your notes and it's like, it's not in my notes because you don't write down, you know, he smiled this way or um, he seemed really interested in this one thing. And it's, it's really challenging um, just as an individual to be able to, to follow up. But then um, as you were saying, it's so incredibly important for leadership to be able to follow up and whether it's um, your actual manager or whether it's um, you know the CEO who's looking at just overall pipeline, there's there's real interest in being able to get a sense of of what are you actually hearing from clients, and that's not even getting into if you've got a marketing team or a product team or somebody else who has to be involved in the sales process, um, being able to see it. So there's a lot of um, you know there's just a lot of different reasons that that good note taking is important, even though it's again something that um, people aren't really trained in how to take notes. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think, I I do think the future of this is, you know, that we're we're really in some ways, I I look at note taking, filling in, you know, we'll auto fill in your CRM with an auto generate summary of the call. Right. And in some ways I feel like that is the Netflix sending you DVDs kind of era. 
right? Because I do uh-huh. think the future is, you know, one of the things I try, I tried to coach some of my guys to take better notes or, or, you know, and it's just really hard, right? It's really hard to teach that kind of diligence, that kind of process. And again, even when I found it done well, it's still pale to comparison to just having the highlight reel. So I think in a lot of ways, what we're, what, what we're starting to see is people where my manager now, you know, maybe there is an abstract for the section that explains in a sentence, here's what their pain point was, or here's what their objection was, but I can always double click on it and watch the 20 second clip of it. Right. And now I've got the best of both worlds sort of thing. Um, I, it's funny. One of my other guiding lights in, in product development and design is to make sure I design products that don't require diligence on the part of the user. Right. Uh, you know, I, 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 those products are just really tough, right? Because our, our level of diligence varies from person to person and from not even person to person, but like from task to task. Right. Um, yep. so it, it is amazing to me how many things that you see that seem like they were developed for the absolute best case scenario. Right. So yeah. if you got all the sleep you needed the night before <laughs> and you had a perfectly pleasant morning and you ate a good healthy breakfast and did all the things that your doctor wants you to do, and then you encounter this system, you will have a great experience. But um, I, I don't even want to think about what percentage of my days that would apply to <laughs> yeah. versus, you know, running from one thing to the next. And, uh, you know, just all the different things we have going on in life. It's it's good to have that that just kind of philosophy. And I do think that's a, a best practice. Anybody that's thinking about your system and process, whether you're using a tool like Fathom or not, do you have the the ability to um to have people using that system when they are not their best selves. And if that's not the case, you're, you're potentially um, opening yourself up to a lot of risk that you don't need to. That's a great way to put it, right? Like how do you stress test your system for the worst case scenario, right? Like even you go back to like when I did note taking by hand, if I didn't like clean up my notes right after the call, like if I go, sudden something came up, well, gosh, I lost like 80% of the value, right? Cause like I, like I wouldn't remember it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that system fails your test in a lot of ways of like, you know, when I'm at my best, it's, it's, you know, 70% solution, but when I'm at worst, it's a 10% solution. Right. <laughs> Definitely. And, and again, we can all think of parts of the process, whether it's, you know, we're, we're being very specific here to sales because obviously that's our audience, but um, just in your, in your day-to-day workflow, thinking through the, the systems and the tools that you're using, where do you have those, those areas of, of just potential friction and where you're consistently seeing errors pop up. And it's not maybe a really, really high error rate, but when there are errors, they're always right there. Um, that can be a, a really good sign that you've got, you've got some issues with, um, with the process in that way. And I've, I've seen so many times organizations really stick for a long time to a system just because it's the way they've done things and, and not really think about the potential for change. 100%. So when it comes to um, a sales kind of leadership role and and the the efficiencies that you're kind of looking for there, I know that's more uh, that's more of a role that you found yourself in over the mm-hmm. course of your career. So what are you seeing in terms of whether it's the communication from sales managers to the people they're managing, mm-hmm. or from sales managers to their peers or the people above them? Where are some areas that you've seen um, for improvement? In, in communicating this important information. Yeah, I can think of three or four here. I, so, you know, we'll, we'll kind of I'll bridge off the last topic, right? So the other half of this note-taking thing is obviously coaching, 
right? And, you know, it's always, I feel like this is the diligent side of, of management, like finding time to listen to the call recordings and, and coach your, your reps, right? You know, how to ask better questions, how to like talk less, all these sort of things. And I, you know, I, I think there's kind of this, you know, there's a lot of apps out there that'll like record, like record all the calls, but, you know, at any size team, that very quickly becomes an overwhelming amount. And I know I found myself struggling to, you know, listen to calls on the way to work and stuff like that. But, you know, it's hard to it's hard to interact with them when I'm running between between tasks, right? And again, so I think one of those things is how do we find a way where management gets visibility into the calls without having to listen to that 85% of calls that aren't maybe that unique, right? Um, or or pretty rote. Um, the other part of that is is, you know, I think also with our shift to you know, I guess most folks now are fully remote or even hybrid or whatnot, right? We don't have the sales floor where we can kind of ambient, like used to be you could kind of, if you didn't listen to every call, go back and listen to all the call recordings, you'd at least have the ambient awareness of like your sales floor, right? And here, overhearing people's openings, overhear they close calls. And, you know, by and large, I don't think any of us have that anymore, right? And so one of the things we started doing is, you know, because we're recording these calls in real time and we've got kind of these annotations that are happening in real time, right? Here's objection, here's the pain point. We're actually like shipping that stuff to Slack in real time. So as a sales manager, I could say, gosh, I want to subscribe to get an update of like every objection that comes up, right? And rather than having to feel like I've got this backlog of them, I'm getting real-time awareness of, of what's happening on my sales calls, which also feels like the other part of the problem, which is a lot of this coaching stuff tends to, you know, we remediate it a week later, right? We, okay, cool. A week after you have the call, we're going to sit down and review some calls. Let's talk about what happened a week ago. Well, the time to really like have the biggest impact is when it's happening, right? And be able to slack the person back and be like, hey, don't forget this point, right? Or don't forget this, you know, uh, don't forget this takedown sheet or something like that. Um, so, so some of it, a lot of this is like coaching. I think that's one of the big things, right? So making it easier for managers to get better awareness of, of the moments to not have to wade through the entirety of, of calls uh, and also to do some of the coaching automatically. One of the things we've built in the product recently is there's a lot of, there's a lot of products out there that I will tell you, like, you know, talk time percentage, you know, you've monologued too much, maybe you're talking too fast. Uh, we've now built a lot of things into our product. So our product basically will tell you if you start monologuing like I am right now for more than 90 seconds, it'll tell you, hey, you're monologuing for 90 seconds, maybe, you know, just a gentle reminder, and it'll tell me every five minutes what percentage of my talk time is. And so we're trying to piece out how do we give the managers just the stuff they need so they can do stuff that is they're uniquely qualified to do? And, and then how do we augment them with you know, AI that can, in the moment, help the help coach reps to be, to have a better conversation. Absolutely. I think that, you know, one of the most important um, points that you just made that I want to, that I want to really emphasize is if you're coaching a week later, or even a few days later, you've lost a significant opportunity because um, whether you can do live coaching in the moment, which can be helpful, you know, I heard you say something and um, I need you to remember to say this, or whether you're coaching right after the call, if you think of how many times you might've gone um, on a joint call where the manager was doing a ride along um, back in the day when we had in-person calls. <laughs> and as you're walking out, you you kind of coach each other. Oh, hey, I heard you ask that question. That was a really great question. I never thought to ask that before. Um, but did you notice that when they mentioned this, you didn't really follow through on it? I had to kind of jump in and rescue it. Um, and it would have been great if you had kind of had your ears perk up when that happened, whatever it might be. That, that coaching that happens right in the moment um, 
in most situations is going to be more impactful because it's tied to the immediate memories right. of the experience that was had, as opposed to trying to think back. Yeah, there was that call that I had last Tuesday, um, and I'm not really sure what what we're talking about here. So um, again. It's just one of those best practices when it comes to a process, if you've got any sort of a review process, making sure that it's not um, significantly delayed and technology obviously is a great way to enable it to be a little bit more um, synchronous than yeah, I, otherwise. I, you know, I'm always a fan of like, I'd rather have a lightweight process that, again, doesn't require as much diligence and can happen faster than a very heavyweight process that's much more thorough, but like at the cost, you know, at, at a much higher cost requires diligence, right? Like I, I'd almost rather get some real-time snippets of what's happening on these calls that I can, as to your point, follow either during or after the call, make that was great, or maybe try this next time sort of thing, as opposed to heavyweight process, which is two weeks later and we review the entire thing, right? Uh, one of these is much more sustainable for all involved. And as you pointed out, you know, more likely to stick in our, in our you know, mushy brains, right? Uh, <laughs> Definitely. Now you mentioned, and and all the examples that you've given show that you you're really innovating. Whether it's new features within your current offering, or whether it's coming up with a whole new idea, um, based on areas where you're seeing room for improvement. Are there any um, that you that you're running into now that you feel like you're looking for a solution? Whether it's something that you're going to build or something you're going to to seek. What are what are the kind of areas of frustration that you've got right now in the areas of sales leadership? Yeah, I mean, I think there a lot of the stuff that we're doing is, you know, kind of what I call like uh, AI assisted, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the computer is, you know, you tell the computer this is a this is a pain point. They're giving me a pain point answer. This is an objection, and then the computer is going back and figure out when did this part of the conversation start, when did it end, kind of like creating a video clip out of it. But it's AI assisted, right? And I think if you look forward, probably a year or two, we'll see more, you know, the AI assistants becoming you know, more robust, right? Where you can start saying like, ah, oh, it sounds like this is, you know, we're actually working on this right now. Like, it sounds like they just mentioned a competitor. It sounds like this is an objection, right? Like, um, and it can automatically flag some of these things. But, you know, there's some systems that have attempted to do like automatic action detection, right? Mm -hmm. The problem with those systems today is they're about 85% accurate. And, you know, when it comes to action items, I don't want to, I don't know about you, but I don't want to trust any system that's only, it's going to miss like one out of six, right? Like that's not, that's bad, that's bad sales hygiene right there, right? So, but I do seems think a there's a few, it seems a little problematic, right? Yeah, you know, uh, hey boss, I got 85% of them. Um, uh, so I, I do think that stuff will get better over time, right? Especially as we get, you know, more data into systems like Fathom and we can start automatically inferring these things. Um, one other workflow thing that I meant to mention though, I want to come back to you real quickly before we move off that is, the other workflow that I've seen, you know, so I was just talking about coaches, uh, you talk about like ride alongs, which is what made me think of this, is for people that have technical products, right? Well, how do you handle technical questions in the sales process? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the current strategy is, well, gosh, at some stage in the sales process, I have a, you know, technical resource, an SE or someone that just rides along the entire demo with me, right? And there's two problems I've seen with this, right? One is that SE is expensive and, you know, limited resource and, you know, they probably aren't needed that in, for that entire one-hour demo or 30-minute demo, right? Mm -hmm. The other problem I've seen is, you know, like it or not, sometimes prospects don't save all their technical questions for the demo call or for the, like, implementation call, right? Sometimes you get on the intro call, like, yeah, but can it do this? Yeah, um, does it integrate with this other Does it integrate thing? this? And, oh, yeah, it does. Well, how does it, right? And so, you know, there's this very nasty game of telephone that happens where, okay, the rep takes some notes, 
know, we've lost a little data in the notes and they hands it off to the, the sales engineer who asked some follow-up questions who then has to get this prospect back on the line. But you're very familiar with this. I'm sure all your listeners are too. So in the same way we've thought about, you know, we're shipping certain coaching moments to managers, we're now shipping technical questions to a Slack room of technical resources. So I'm on a call, it could be intro call, it could be a petition call, it could be, you know, whatever, late stage call, any call, I hear a technical question, I click a button within 20 seconds, literally that customer asking technical questions in front of my engineers, and they're either slacking me back and answer or they're jumping on the call and answering it, right? And so that kind of like time compression, right? Like being able to shorten the sales cycle by getting people answers when they like right in the moment is I think also a huge opportunity for folks. Definitely. I can think of, you know, as you said, um, there's either bad information that's given or there's the, well, I'll check with my team and get back to you. And that's not a great experience for the client. Now, if, you know, that's better than lying or coming up with something (laughs) fake. (laughs) But um, as you said, one thing that, that often happens is if, if you're talking, for example, to the head of IT, and they've got a question, and you know enough to sell, but not all of the details, you might not even understand their question correctly. So if you're taking notes on what you think they're asking, it might not be what they're actually asking about. Whereas if if you're able to provide, um, you know, the recording, whether you're able to provide access to that person to join the call in the moment, it's much more likely to be a successful interaction than when you're playing that nasty game of telephone of I'm translating what I think they're saying, and then I'm going to communicate it to you. And you're going to hear your version of what I is my version of what they said. And it's amazing how even just over like, through through one different middleman of communication, things can really change (laughs) in terms of accuracy. Yeah, it's even worse than that game of telephone we played as kids, right? Uh, you know, where this also, I see this happen too. So my previous company, User Voice, again, we're a platform for like product feedback. And so we primarily sold to and worked with product management teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talking about where the game of telephone really breaks down is, you know, sales is always trying to influence product, right? Like, I think survey after survey is like one of the number one things that almost everyone in the org wants to do, right? Success, sales, you name it, everyone wants to influence product. And I remember we did this survey of PMs and said, you know, which department, who, which department's feedback do you find the most credible or believable? Uh, and I'll let you guess who was very, very, very far down at the bottom of that list. Uh, it was a sales department, right? And Absolutely. so, you know, you know, support, we trust really highly, success, decently highly. And then it was like a big gap and it was like sales. And I think it's some of this translation problem, right? It's like, you know, you're hearing legitimate concerns on the call, but maybe, you know, don't know enough about the product or there isn't, you know, maybe a different way to look at it. And so by the time the, the game of telephone gets played, it gets the product and they're like, uh, this is making sense. We don't believe it. Right. And so the other thing that giving you a system where you can share out moments from these calls or a group of moments from these calls, right? Here's all the feedback we've heard, product feedback we've heard this, this week. Um, it's really hard for, for product teams to refute that, right? When they hear a customer in their own words explaining it, it, it becomes much more credible. And then you don't have to make, you know, I, the number of salespeople I talk to, sales managers I talk to that are like, how do I lobby product, right? You you work in product, you work with product teams. How do I lobby product? This is how you lobby product, right? You you don't lobby them. You let the, let the users do it for you, right? And so that's the other thing where I think, you know, this game of telephone really hurts organizations and hurts collaboration across departments. Absolutely. Because it- you know, you hear from sales teams, and and obviously I'm talking a lot more to sales teams than product teams, Um, and their level of frustration, they're like, I am the one who is talking to customers. 
I know more than anybody else in the organization what customers need. And yet, as you said, that is not the perception of most of the rest of the organization. And, you know, I don't want to say they're they're right or they're wrong because they are the ones who are having the most face time typically with buyers. And so they're hearing a lot of useful information, but it, it is that translation issue. It's the prioritization issue. It's, you know, yes, maybe all of your customers in this region are really concerned about that, but overall that's not a good idea for us, uh, you know, as a company, or maybe it is a, a version that we're going to develop and, and release to just a small audience. And so it's easy for things to be um, not just kind of mistranslated because of the technical difficulty, but the perception right. of importance is, yeah, is yeah. really off. You know, you meet with somebody who's just really mad. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's the challenge product has, right? So the, 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 the challenge product, the input challenge is, how does the product team get a clean input of like, okay, this is credible, you know, primary source information, right? That isn't run through a game of telephone of someone who's maybe not as technical as we would like um, to, to, to kind of validate and vet this. And then the product management challenge, the output to the rest of the organization, that's the challenge is like, how do we explain which of these things might be the most important thing our SMB lead is hearing, sales lead is hearing, but not the most important thing overall when we, you know, basically balance it by revenue. Right. Okay. Well, there's some big things that really move a lot of enterprise deals. Honestly, it usually goes the other direction, right? Usually it's like these big enterprise deals tend to outweigh all these like, you know, PLG driven SMB deals. Uh, and that was actually probably the number one use case we were solving at User Voice was helping product teams push back on sales teams and say, actually, your SMB folks have five features that would, you know, actually unlock more revenue than building this one integration for this enterprise client. Um, but that's a, a whole other, the whole other podcast in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, but um, I I can really see how again it's that it's that consistent through line around just improving um, communication, making sure the right information is getting to the right people, so that yep. they can make decisions based on accurate data as opposed to our own impressions. And uh, you know when when you look at even just communication. The, the studies that have been done, I'm not going to quote the numbers accurately off the top of my head because, again, human memory is not perfect, <laughs> but um, such a small amount is the words that are said. So much is about, you know, facial expression and body language. And if I'm just focused on capturing some words in notes, I'm not going to even be able to maybe pay as much attention to the other ways that you're communicating. Um and, yeah, and that's a big area for improvement. It is interesting. Even when I was, you know, in the early days of, of Fathom, we had a very alpha example. I remember, like, I would still take notes, and then we were just recording. We weren't yet doing, like, real-time annotation or real-time recording. But I would even then take some notes, and I'd be like, this was a great call. And I'd go back and watch that call later and be like, oh, no, they're actually not that excited, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I thought they were, because you're right, I was listening to the words, but when I go back and actually watch them without the benefit of trying to take notes on, I was like, oh, wait, they're they're kind of placating me, right? Um, and so it's, it, it is interesting how our, the human mind kind of plays tricks on you a little bit in some of these conversations. Uh, and that's why I find this whole space kind of really interesting, right? It's a it's a really high-pressure environment, right? Like, it's a, it's a real-time environment, right? You've got 30 minutes with this person, and you may never get to – you may, you know, it goes poorly, you may never get to talk to them again, right? And you've got to do a lot inside of that 30 minutes – uh, to be successful, uh, which I find, which is why I find it so gratifying to build a product that like, you know, we get so many folks that said, I, you know, I have five back-to-back calls today. If it wasn't for your app, I wouldn't, I, I don't remember the first three, right? Like, 
Definitely. It it really is a fun space. Uh, anytime I'm talking to really, um, really busy salespeople, I love to hear their perspective because they are working harder than a lot of people might recognize and, and really have a lot of insight typically into where there's room for improvement. So uh, I know you touched on AI earlier, and I, I definitely feel like that's something that I'm hearing a lot from sales leaders. They want to use AI to respond to customer questions. They want to use AI to, like you said, analyze um, conversations and and either provide coaching or note-taking or, or advice. Are there other trends that you're seeing um, coming up in specifically sales workflow that you're keeping an eye on? I mean, I can think of two. Uh... The, probably the biggest one is I, I think you're seeing new tools come out like ours, which are you know freemium tools that have very short setup times, if you know measured in minutes, not hours. Uh, you know they can be adopted by individual reps or by a team, right? They're not the traditional like top down type, type of sale thing. But all these products that are coming out also now not only have kind of a really low friction, almost consumer like process, uh, but they also integrate with a lot of things out of the box and not just Salesforce. I feel like. It used to be you had all these integrations because you just got everything that was inside the Salesforce ecosystem. But now we see a lot of people using you know, HubSpot, using Close, using Pipedrive, using different CRMs, and still having a great experience because all these products now are coming out and being very kind of like ours, kind of like us. ClickUp's another good example of this. A lot of products that are very like integrations first, right? And so it plugs into everything you need to do. It plugs into your Slack. It plugs into your, to your task manager. It plugs into your CRM. It plugs into your recording solution. It plugs in all these sorts of things. So I think that's one of the things like, you know, tools can be adopted by reps, but, but that plug into your existing ecosystem. Um, and then the other side of that, you know, you know, we're, there's more tools that have kind of that PLG or product-led growth kind of motion like we have, which means mm-hmm. I think there's more teams that are starting to, you know, we, we have a small kind of like, it's kind of a sales team, kind of a success team, right? It's kind of this, you know, PLG sales motion where we get users using the product first and then sales comes in after that to, you know, again, it's kind of blurring the lines between customer success and sales. So I think there's a lot of interesting things happening there from, from a workflow perspective and from just the, like, how do we think about the role of sales in, in these like product-led growth companies? Definitely. I, I do feel like a lot of... That, that whole thing you mentioned in, in terms of, you know, it's kind of rep first and user first as opposed yep. to organization top down, uh, as well as the integrations. One thing that I've been hearing from sales leaders and salespeople for the last few years, uh, a lot more than I did before, is just platform fatigue of mm-hmm. too many things that I have to log into. And then each one is presenting me data in a different way. And I'm trying to be like the manual integration between <laughs> these different systems. And so that that seamless integration is um, is something that people are really looking for and and really care about more than they did even I think a year ago as people are just adding more and more and more sales enablement tools but each one if, if it's not integrated with the others is a whole new thing that your salespeople need to kind of figure out 100 percent yeah and I, there's a there's a previous generation of kind of like these kind of like you know recording analysis solutions that we're competing with that are top-down sale that are primarily focused on the manager. They don't have a ton of day-to-day usefulness for the, for the rep. And they have, you know, and they're kind of an island, right? Where they don't, they probably have some integration with some of these tools, but they don't generally have a good one, right? It's kind of like, we, you can kind of check the box sort of thing, right? And so I do think when I talk to managers now, everyone, to your point, right? Like we want less tools and we certainly want to make sure our reps get as much value out of it as, as we do as managers. 
Definitely. And when it comes to driving adoption, you are not going to see high levels of adoption if people feel like this is a tool that managers implemented so that they can get the information that they need. Um, You're going to see people checking the box. And it is amazing how often um, one thing that we always do with our clients is um, an exploration process at the beginning and in a survey that we typically ask uh, people what are some of your areas of pain and frustration when it comes to the systems that we're using? And we give them some prompts, but the one of the number one things as it relates to CRM is I feel like I'm putting data in the system, but it's not useful for me. It doesn't help me right. do my job. And also leadership isn't using the data. So it's like, right. they're just asking me to put it in for no reason at all. And so anything that you can do as a leader, when you're thinking about implementing these tools um, to help Make sure that you're picking a process or a tool, a function that that actually does serve the team. Um, that is going to pay off more than more than you might recognize. Yeah, it, it's so tragic when it's like, you know, I need you to fill out these eight fields to advance the opportunity in the next stage. And oh, by the way, I barely I barely remember to rec- look at these, right? And you don't use; they're not useful to you as a rep, right? That's just you know, talk about soul sucking, right? It's job's hard enough as it is. <laughs> Definitely. You know, when, you, when you're making 300 calls in a week, you, you learn pretty quickly the parts that are, that are especially soul-sucking. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's like, uh, we want to do the least amount possible that is effective and just cut out all the rest. Yeah. I had, I had one client, this was years and years ago, but I always remember it when I'm talking about CRM. They had, not even exaggerating, it was 40 plus required fields wow. to enter a lead. And it was like, wow, that's um, that's a lot. <laughs> and you literally could not save it until you entered all of those fields. And each one at the time it was added seemed really important. And there was somebody who really cared about it. But nobody had taken that kind of holistic look to see, um, does this really make sense? So right. that, it's, that it's always so much down. easier. It's so much easier for people to be like, let's add this one extra thing. than let's remove this thing. Right. Adding Absolutely. a thing is easy. Removing a thing means you have to go around to everyone and be like, does anyone need this thing? And so, you know, you kind of just get this proliferation of fields. And I mean, I'm sure there's not a Salesforce instance on in the world that doesn't have this kind of creep, right? This kind of what we call scope creep in product Absolutely. And it's it's really easy to do. Something that I think a lot of sales leaders um, should be thinking about is if you don't have anybody who is kind of looking at your your sales stack with that strategic point of view and is looking at how things are integrating with each other and is, is thinking from this process mindset, um, that's a potential higher or that's maybe a, an area of focus that you should be um, that you should be taking on yourself because it's it's really easy you know we're talking about adding fields to a CRM system it's also really easy to say oh we need a, a data platform let's just get this one here oh we need an email platform let's just get this one here and and you start to build up this list of platforms and tools and resources for your team that each one independently is probably really useful but I can almost guarantee you there's not a single person on the team that knows all of the things that they that they could be doing with these platforms and that is right. using them. You're going to have one person that uses one thing really well. Somebody else uses a completely different one. And, and you're really not getting the benefit of your investment. It's also this mindset 
difference between a mindset. And this is honestly, this is the mindset I originally had when I got into sales management because I was thinking about this like engineering t- task. And it's like, okay, my goal is to control the output. <laughs> my goal <laughs> is to like, you know, make sure I get a, uh, you know, a repeatable output and I need to put a lot of controls in place on the humans in the process, right? As opposed to this more like enablement mindset, right? Which is like, what can I do? Let me assume that I've got good folks and we train them well. What can I do to, uh, to make them make their lives easier? Um, it's funny. I'm a little late to the game on this, but I just started watching the the show, the Ted Lasso show. Have you watched that at all? I have not, but everybody that I know loves it. So it's, it's on the it's, list. It's, it's not only wholesome, but it's actually like, I actually think I'm going to make it manager, like required watching for managers because <laughs> he's actually just a fantastic manager. And one of the first things he does when he comes in the soccer team, he doesn't know anything about soccer. It's hilarious, right? It's like, it's like me, an engineer walking to a sales team. The first thing he did is said, here's a comment box. Like, tell me all the things that, that, that suck, right? The food in the cafeteria, the, you know, and someone says like, oh, the water pressure in the showers is not very good. And he goes in and checks. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's really terrible. And like, the th- you know, one of the episodes, I'm kind of giving away, but it's not a big plot point. It's like he fixes the water pressure and the team's like, oh, wow, they like they care about our, exp- you know, my, my boss cares about my experience. And I was just like, wow, this is like such this is exactly what I've tried to teach every manager we've had. I've had for the last 10 years. Right. It's not about you keeping a lid, a lid on the kettle. Right. So that steam doesn't come out. It's about you making sure that everyone on your team has exactly what they need and you're out there walking and tackling and getting all the nonsense and noise out of their way so they can have five to 10 good productive calls a day. Definitely. Definitely. And it's amazing to me how often you have organizations who say, we want your feedback and then people give their feedback and they don't do anything with it. And there's, that's more demoralizing than never asking for the feedback in the first place, because you're actually making somebody think about the things that frustrate them and they might have pushed it to the back of their mind and and you're bringing it up for them they're getting more frustrated they're getting annoyed and then nothing happens and so um last thing you want to do as a leader is is you know put out that suggestion box and then ignore what it says well yeah my last couple of years all we did was coach people on how to like handle feedback right so in our in the beginning we were just focused on workflows to get feedback in but we spent most of the last probably five to ten years focused on how to coach teams on what to do with feedback and I think there is this mis- I think everyone thought the worst thing you could do with feedback is say no to it, but actually the worst thing you could do with it is just ignore it, right? People actually, we actually did a lot of studies that found that people liked you saying no almost as much as they liked you saying yes. Absolutely. As, as long Clarity. as you told them, as long as you told them why, right? As long mm-hmm. as you're like, we're not doing this because this, right? And this is what we always had to coach product teams to tell sales teams: Hey, look, we're not doing this because here's the day we've run into da da da, you know. Uh, it's just constant. People want to be heard and know that they're understood, not just ignored. Uh, it, it's so funny. It's just somewhat counterintuitive that people trip over all the time. Absolutely. Well, I think that that kind of um, closes a loop in, in the conversation that we're having today. This this just consistent focus on the experience that people are having and really um, informing it by data and not just intuition. And whether that's um, actual recordings of conversations or whether that's um, the studies that you've done on on the experience that users are having, um, informing process improvement by data. Always a, always a smart thing to do. So um, a question I always like to ask our guests as we, as we wind down the conversation is, do you have any resources that you would recommend for our listeners? That could be books, it could be blogs, it could be apps, uh, whatever it is that, um, that you would recommend. Yeah. I mean, I think Going back to my point about PLG sales motions and the boarding of success in sales, uh, our team has been reading product-led onboarding by mm-hmm. Romley John, which is pretty good, right? Again, I think if you're in sales and you're like, okay, you know, want to think about kind of maybe what's coming down the pipe in terms of process. Um, 
And then I'll, I'll throw you a couple that are like my personal favorites that are not related to sales at all, but they're just about kind of process design. Mm-hmm. Um, one is The Design of Everyday Things, which is a book by Don Norman. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier about like, you know, why is the airport this way? Why is my coffee pot this way? Uh, really fun book that kind of just tears down and talks about like why certain things are designed the way they are and which things work and what things don't. Um, there's another one, Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug, which is a book about specifically, it's kind of like how to design good, you know, originally like web apps and interfaces, but now I think it's probably relevant to anyone building in an operations role building processes, right? You know, it's equally applicable if you're building out, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, if you're thinking about putting 40 fields into your Salesforce <laughs> uh, <laughs> opportunities, making them required. Uh, and then if you like visualizations uh, or like kind of graphing and information display, anything by Edward Tufte, T-U-F-T-E, is fantastic and this is one of the few books i'd say like that's a book you should buy because it's just like this big beautiful book with these all these illustrations about how to visualize data um and i do think that's also one place where i see i see a lot of bad sales dashboards right uh Uh. that are kind of misleading and um i think there's a lot of innovation coming in that space too but uh tufty is just they're visually you know if you like if if you are somewhat of a graph nerd this is this is the the god emperor of graph nerds. Uh, so it, it's just a fun, it's just a fun kind of coffee table book. Definitely. And um, to what you just said, you know, we a lot of people talk about data. I was just talking about data, but uh, you can use data to lie to yourself very easily <laughs> and to mislead yourself very easily. And so the way you're you're organizing and presenting it is um, is incredibly important. I love that that mix of recommendations. All right. If listeners want to learn more about you, um, where should they go? Sure. Yeah. If you, I'm on LinkedIn mostly. I'm not much of a Twitter person. So find me on LinkedIn, send me a message. Uh, also, if you want to check out the product, it's completely free. It's fathom.video. Uh, and actually, we have, a, we have a thing going. So if you have fathom.video slash pod, uh, you can basically you can get access to the product not only for free, but you can skip the wait list. So we've got a decently long wait list at this point. Uh, so if you go to that link, you'll immediately skip to the front of that. Uh, yeah. And, and ping me on LinkedIn and, and tell me what you think of the product or uh, what you thought of, of what we talked about today. I kind of love any of these workflow optimization topics. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Richard. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. It's been fun. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 331. As a reminder, if you subscribe to the show, you get every new episode as soon as it's posted. And you can subscribe for free wherever you're listening right now. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover it. And we love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in whatever your podcast platform of choice is. Or you can email us if you've got feedback, questions, suggested guests, podcast, criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!